You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hi, and thanks for coming back for another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heintz, managing editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And today we're joined by Lauren Foley, a financial specialist in the Atlanta Fed Supervision, Regulation, and Credit Division. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Uh, Lauren has done a lot of research into what we've come to know as disruptors, or those companies and forces that dramatically change traditional approaches to business. And asked her to come on the podcast today to talk about her research and share some of the insights she's gained from it. So, Lauren, let me jump right in. Uh, We hear a lot about disruptors, but I guess that can mean a lot of different things to different people, depending on, you know, where you sit and your perspective. Uh, To your mind, what constitutes a a disruptor? That's a great question to start off with. So a disruptor is an innovation that creates either a new market or a new value network. Normally, um, you'll have disruptors uh, that are innovators. Uh, but not necessarily every innovator is a disruptor. So just because something is new doesn't mean it's going to be impactful. It doesn't upend the whole industry. Absolutely. Right. Um, A lot of these, um, kind of what makes it popular, comes from uh, how it gains traction in the community. um, And that's how it will kind of add on its scale in terms of being impactful as an actual disruptor. So ways that we will maybe start changing the way we do something or the way we interact with each other as it spreads larger scale is really when we start to see impacts. Lauren, haven't we always had disruptors? I mean, people people still refer to, to buggy whip makers, which is still shorthand for a worker displaced by a, a disruptor, in this case, the automobile. And that reference goes back like, what now, a century. And the uh, steamships disrupted the sailing ships, et cetera. Uh, why does it seem like we hear so much more about disruptors today? That's a fantastic point. Change is what is moving us forward and continually hoping to improve um, our lives and by either making them easier or making the things we do more efficient. So why we're hearing more about them today is the speed at which things are being created, that new technologies are being implemented, the way that we can build on top of something that's already been built before. Um, That speed is really kind of what is making it such a hot topic right now. Um, And that there's also very low barriers to entry because with all the advancements that have been made um, and investments made up front, a lot of that information is being shared more readily than it used to be. And I also want to point out, too, there's a lot of the new items being developed are smaller and smaller, it seems, with technology. So if you think digitally, for example, um, think about the number of new apps that we have that connect various aspects of our lives. Right. Um, the first app, if you go all the way back to Nokia's Snake Game for their phone, that came out in 1997. Um, and July of 2008 was actually when the first app store, Apple's app store, was launched. Um, and from that time, we have grown to uh, 2.2 million apps apps currently in the App Store, and there's 2.8 million apps on the Google Play Store. So just looking at how quickly just the digital and app space has been able to grow over time and able to connect us in different ways um, and and maybe approach problems differently than we could before. 
Yeah, I, I guess that is a much lower barrier to entry than, say, a new new car model or a new mode of transportation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of the media coverage of, of um, disruptors, I don't want to be extreme, but it sort of borders on, on the alarmist. Um, but while, quote-unquote, disruption implies something undesirable, it's, it's not always a bad thing, is it? It's absolutely not. Um, I think that the only aspect of a disruption that really isn't great is if you're actually the one being disrupted. The, the employee that's disrupted, right. Right. Either if it's the employee or the company itself. So there might be a company that's been doing things one way and um, it's either new technology or another company comes in with an idea that kind of shifts the game a little bit. Um, if companies aren't looking ahead and trying to say, okay, I need to be on top of new innovation, um, understand market trends and what people are wanting and what they're doing with their time, um, the ability to pivot is really going to be crucial for yeah, them. I, I guess if you're like saying making cassette tapes and you're seeing CDs come out, you're thinking, well, gulp, I better do something. Right. Fantastic example. Yes. Um, and one of the big things from the consumer standpoint um, kind of was at, back to my earlier point about what makes it popular is a for companies, it's about creating things that make our lives better. So um, I keep going back to an app, for example, but um, there are plenty other topics that I know we'll jump into um, that have a lot of, of impact on the things we either do now or maybe we don't do now because they've been either simplified or there's been a step taken out. Um, so that's Definitely something that um, I wouldn't say is a bad thing if we we're kind of improving um, the way that we live our lives day to day. To your point about the invention of the automobile, right. try to think about getting around in Atlanta traffic on a horse, trying to get to work. You know, I mean, there are disruptions that maybe at the time seem scary and new, but a lot of it is built with the goal in mind that we are advancing where we are right now and improving our lives in some way. Right. Well, you've actually given me the perfect segue to my next question. You know, almost every industry is such in some way, directly or indirectly, by technological dis disruption. And the list of disruptions, you know, seems endless. Uh, but today I wanted to focus on some of the most popular disruptors and, and discuss their impact that might not be so apparent or immediate in our society right now. I guess the big ones that we hear so much about are, are Uber and Lyft and, and the ride-sharing services. You know, I think they're great, but, you know, I might feel differently if I were a cab driver. Um, yes, there are absolutely a lot of benefits um, to the ride-sharing app that has come out. Um, so let's start with your point um, about cab drivers and the effect on them. Um, they have, in fact, seen a decrease um, in the salaried drivers um, aspect. They've Makes seen sense. about a 10% decrease sure. um, in their in their earnings. However, the number of new people that have been employed as a result of these apps um, has actually far outweighed the economic impact of a salary decrease in the cab drivers. Interesting. Um, and to an earlier point that I made, adaptability is something that I already mentioned, um, and that is key here. So think about taxis. There have They've been around for a long time. Sure. The ability to have somebody come and pick you up and take you somewhere is not a new concept. But what these two companies, Uber and Lyft, have done is 
make that process easier and potentially more efficient. Uh, I personally have not ever called to have a taxi come get me, but I hear it's much more reliable to be able to watch the driver approach on your phone and track where they are. Um, And something else that these apps did was make the payment process much easier. So I can get into my Uber when it shows up, and as soon as I'm dropped off, I can leave. There's not those few minutes of me trying to find cash or pay with a credit card, and it makes the entire transaction much smoother. Right. To the point, again, about being able to pivot, what we're starting to see now is taxi companies are coming out with their own apps to make themselves still competitive with these companies. Yes. So it's it's forcing innovation on their part. Absolutely. And so they're starting to incorporate uh, the aspects like payment via the app so that now the taxi driver can come, um, show up, same type of thing. You hop in, you get to where you're going, and you hop out. And, and I think that that's something then, you know, that's adding to the competition because now that you've kind of taken ease of use out of play, it's going to come down to quality of the price. product and, and the pricing right. that's available. Sure. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that you've never called a cab, but that's that's <laughs> another conversation. Um, what about re- – we hear a lot about real estate rentals like VRBO and Airbnb. There's a concern there about obviously competition with hotels. And, and what does your research show about how that's shaking out? So it's actually something similar that we saw kind of with the taxi and then the, the new apps coming out. So – There is a company um, that you mentioned, VRBO, that's actually been around since 1995. That's right. And it's actually targeted at a different clientele. So that's kind of one reason for the differentiation between VRBO and Airbnb. Oh, so they're not synonymous terms. Correct. Huh. Um, Yeah, well, now I'm I'm betraying the fact that I've never used them, so... (laughs) Yes. I thought they were interchangeable uh, they firms. They are not. They are actually uh, two different companies. Um, and as I mentioned, they have different clientele. So VRBO is catered more towards, well, first off, it stands for vacation rental by owner. Right. So it is more for um, getting maybe an entire home or entire space for your family, maybe for vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, Airbnb is a little bit more geared toward either somebody um, just stopping in, maybe it's a quick trip and not necessarily a week-long vacation, and they just need somewhere quick to stay because they're visiting a friend for a night maybe. Um, And with Airbnb, you have the opportunity to stay in just a room in somebody's house. You could maybe stay in their entire basement, so like part of a house, or you could rent an entire space, so a full apartment or a home. So there's a lot more flexibility there in terms of what it's offering to the customer. Um, And another interesting thing is that Airbnb is slowly starting to branch out into including experiential aspects with the app. So being able to actually link to an excursion, for example, through either the hosts that you're staying with, or they'll put you in contact with people in the city that you're staying with. So they almost have marketed themselves as their own little travel agency as well. So not only can I get the cool experience of maybe staying in a local's house, um, but I can also do local things and not necessarily do all the tourist attractions that are around the city. Right. So do you find them to really be disruptors in the, in the usual sense of what we call disruptors? That's a fantastic question. So 
similar to what we saw kind of with the taxi companies, um, there's been a lot of competition with hotels, and that's been a big concern. Right. Our, con- our hotels now going away. Right. Um, and for m- many reasons, no, they're not. One of them is that there's this a brand. There's people that, um, you know, choose to go to a Marriott or a Hilton because they know what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is kind of a different aspect now that hotels are taking. There is um, there's actually a new Marriott development in New York City that is being designed to mimic the small apartments that you could otherwise stay in at mm. with an Airbnb. So to try to give you the feel of, okay, I don't want to stay in a big hotel room in New York. I want to know what it feels like to live in New York. In most cases, it's a small apartment. And so what they're actually doing is building very, very small hotel rooms that are kind of giving people that local experience. So that's another case of the disruptors forcing the big players to innovate, the old line players. Absolutely. And something else hotels are doing um, is integrating more technology. So if you think about to what we have in our homes right now, if you start to get, um, you know, the um, Alexa or using Siri or Hey Google, whatever it is, the smart technology that you're talking to in your home or, um, you know, you have your DVR, your Netflix, or your smart TV, whatever it is, more and more is that starting to be incorporated into hotel space um, to just, again, maintain not only um, competitive with Airbnb and different companies like that, but also just to maybe make you think twice about, well, you know, maybe I will stay at the hotel. Like, their goal is to make you feel like you're at home. And so by adding in kind of more of those aspects that you have in your home and making it not necessarily so cookie cutter without losing their quality from a brand perspective, um, it really uh, is keeping them competitive. Interesting. What do you find the effect has been on rental rates and and prices at hotels? Is is there an impact on that? So it is one of the classic, it depends answers. Um, It really does depend by market. It depends um, what the hosts, for example, on Airbnb are charging for their space because it should be cheaper for you to rent a room in somebody's house. And, you know, maybe you're even sharing a bathroom with your host. I've actually done that myself. It was quite a fun experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But that should be less than having an entire, you know, maybe full kitchen and bedroom and bathroom in a hotel. So part of it, too, is having the option of, you know, only paying for what you really need to make your experience what you want it to be. But also, um, there are some really nice places on Airbnb, and the hosts are charging way more, and it is way cheaper to stay at a hotel. Yeah. So there's also the aspect of location as well. Um, there are some smaller cities that there's not as many people that want to host on Airbnb. It might be either too new of a concept for that city, um, or there's just not a lot of people that are willing to do that. And so sometimes you will only have the option of a hotel and vice versa. If you're going somewhere that's really not very populated, maybe you can only stay in somebody's basement. Right, right. Well, uh, Lauren, let's change gears. I want to touch on you. You really can't talk about disruption without talking about, you know, retailing and, and how much that's changed. We hear a lot about, you know, the retail apocalypse, and it seems to be mentioned in every other headline that comes out. Uh, is that hype? Is there something to it? Uh, what is really going on with with retail space in the U.S.? And, you know, we hear a lot about uh, so many store closures, of course, Toys R Us now. Is it, but is it all bad news? I mean, how, how disruptive have these, these technologies been to retail? 
This is a fantastic topic. So a lot of the work that I do here in the supervision, regulation, and credit division has to do with looking at commercial real estate trends and what is happening as a result of this. So this is actually a topic very near and dear to my heart. First off, what is the hype about? The retail apocalypse has to do with the large amount of popular retailers that are going out of business. So um, to your point, it seems like every other headline has retail apocalypse in the title and, oh, get another hundred stores are closing. Um, And part of it is that's what the news likes to do is Mm -hmm. to paint sometimes a negative picture. But part of it, too, is that it's because these are such big brand names that we've known for so long. Um, But you brought up Toys R Us. That's a fantastic example to start with. Um, There are companies like Walmart, Amazon, um, even Target that are actually outpacing Toys R Us in their toy sales. And part of that is because if you look at just Toys R Us, and this is just one example, um, they really are very specific in what they sell. It's just toys for kids. But if I am already going out and or if I'm ordering online from Amazon, I can just get everything I need in one place. And part of our um, fast pace lives right now, you know, taking out an extra step of where not have to go do errands on the weekend really does make a difference. Sure. Um, another aspect is too, um, is how much retail space is currently in the U.S. So this is one of my favorite statistics. In the United States, we have about 24 square feet of retail space per person. Hmm. To put that in perspective, Canada has 16 square feet per person, and then followed by that is Australia with 11. Wow. So we are vastly overspaced, you could maybe say, yeah. um, in the retail sector. And so, um, you know, maybe what used to be great, you know, the pop-up of these super malls and department stores of the same type of idea, a place where you could go and get everything, um, you know, that is starting to change because we're starting to see more e-commerce pop up. The ability for me to just sit at home and click around and get whatever I need brought right to my door, to me personally, is quite appealing. Sure. Sometimes you don't want to fight traffic or sometimes it's, hey, I know exactly what I need. Why spend more time to get it? Right. Um, it is just a lot of it compounds on the changes and preferences of people today and where we've not only gone because of technological advancement, but the expectations we now have because of it. So saying, you know, okay, well, now I've experienced that Amazon will deliver this to my doorstep. I'm now expecting, you know, they have their two-day shipping. I'm now expecting overnight shipping. How fast can I actually get it? The drone shipping. The drone (laughs) shipping as well. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, Just an aside, Amazon actually has a patent for a packaging label that has a parachute inside of it. So not only are we having drones bring the package to your door, they have even removed the time it takes from basically bringing the drone down to your doorstep that it'll just hover and drop the package. I haven't seen this in person. (laughs) I would love to, you know, if it's something heavier, that might be a little scary of, I don't know if this is going to make it in one piece to my doorstep. But just interesting to challenge, you know, the different ways that we can further enhance what we thought was already so enhanced already. Yeah, that is incredible. I've actually never heard of that. That's a brave new world for sure. Yes. And I would love to add, too, to your point about 
how, uh, you know, is it all bad news? And the answer to that is no. If you do search hard enough online, you can find that there are a number of companies that are still growing um, and are actually opening stores. So just to give you a quick example, um, these are just some growth projections um, in terms of locations for a couple companies. Um, Target, as I mentioned, they opened 32 new stores last year, and they plan on opening 35 this year, with also the plans to remodel over 300 different locations across the country. Um, Ulta is a beauty store. They plan to open 100 new stores this year. Dollar General is hoping to open 900 new stores. Um, At Home, which is a home decor chain, um, is looking to expand. And Warby Parker um, is actually is an eyeglass retailer. They're hoping hoping to add 40 stores um, this year to actually round out their total footprint of 100. So it's it's not all bad. There are companies that either the demand is there for them or they have put the things in place in terms of technology and experience that are making them still very profitable and able to further expand. Well, thank you for that uh, balanced perspective. Speaking of real estate, another disruption in real estate that seems to be, be growing, but we, we really don't hear so much about it, is what they call co-working space. Uh, is this disrupting a, a traditional business model, or is it not a disruptor in the sense that you would define it? Uh, have you seen any impact on the, on the cost of office space from the, from the co-working trend? This is a really cool disruptor. Um, this is probably one of my favorite because it it stems from shifts in preferences that are driven by society rather than something new being presented and people, you know, trying to take off hold of it that way. So it's kind of a the reverse is what's happening. Right. Um, so I would not say that it is disrupting the traditional business model, but from the perspective of, again, that the space is changing, so we're going to change the way that we work. The opposite is true. Um, millennials are kind of known for their different approach um, in how we look at careers. Um, it's not necessarily, let's go to a company and I plan to stay here for 20 years and work my way up. Um, really interesting statistic, 47% of millennials are actually freelance workers. Um, And that is expected to grow to be the majority of the U.S. workforce around 2025. And so the reason for bringing that up is that the work location is much more flexible than it used to be. It's not necessarily I need to go into the same office every day and sit in my cube and do my work. Um, Especially if you're a freelance worker, you might not necessarily always have something to do. And so to have the flexibility to go in, let's say, a WeWork or another co-working company and just say, hey, I want to sit at this desk for this week while I knock out a project and then get paid for it and then I'll stay at home until I get my next job. kind of the way that we are looking at how we work is changing. And so I think that that's a really interesting part about why our space is changing yeah. because the demand is there. And so developers are now starting to say, okay, well, people don't want the same amount of square footage even in a typical lease than they used to because there's um, there's more telecommuting happening and less people are actually coming into the office. So if For example, on any given day, I only have 50% of my staff here. Maybe not everybody needs their own designated cube, and we can save 
half the money by having half the space. Right. Um, so it's just it's kind of a it overall changing trends um, from the telecommuting standpoint as well as um, what we actually want out of our jobs as well and then the space that we need to do them. Right. Well, speaking of commuting, uh, let's talk about self, self-driving cars. Is that a disruption in the sense that we're discussing? I guess self-driving trucks would be if you're, if you're a truck driver. Right. But what about the impacts of mobility on the average customer? So this would definitely still be a disruption in the way that we're seeing it because, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, a lot of the goal of disruption and disruptors being created in the first place is to enhance something that's already there. Yeah. There are numerous producers of self-driving cars that actually discuss that the new features and technology that are being implemented are not necessarily to have a completely driverless road. It's more to enhance the safety and the experience of the driver while they're actually in the car. So to know, okay, if for some reason I've had a long day and maybe I'm staring off into space, my car will recognize if I maybe get too close to the car in front of me. More and more cars are even ones that you wouldn't think of as self-driving or autonomous in any way are still having these safety features implemented into uh, the framework of the car so that you still are are getting a better experience overall. Right, right. Um, and self-driving trucks, I'm going to venture to say that this is slightly different because if you look at it from the perspective of being on the highway, um, there's actually some companies that will um, caravan a bunch of their trucks together and actually have the ability to talk to each other. And what you can do with that, though, is is you're removing all human interaction on on the specific highway. So one of the the issues or the roadblocks that we see right now with having any type of driverless car on the road right now is that there's a bunch of cars that do have drivers in yeah. them. And so there's a lot of unknown variables then that the car is going to try to take into account if it's driving itself, but might not necessarily be able to. And so we really won't truly see efficiency for many, many years if we ever get to a fully autonomous way of getting around on the roads. Right. Well, Lauren, um, we often see estimates of the of the economic impact of an innovation, but it seems to me that it would be really hard, it may be even impossible, to quantify the economic impact of, of disruptors. They're so dispersed and throughout different sectors, which they're affecting in different ways. Uh, What's your take on how we should view the economic impact of disruptors? I absolutely agree that the impacts, not only economic but otherwise, are very hard to quantify because sometimes the lines become so blurred. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, for example, we have an app that lets you get a ride um, maybe much more quickly that is going to help you get from point A to point B. But that's not the only thing that might be affected. So now it's going to affect your driving patterns. Okay, well, now I'm not on the road. If if this is a way I choose to always get around, maybe I don't need a car anymore. So it could um, impact you financially, um, environmentally. You know, if you choose to not have a car versus I choose to always do ride sharing when I get around. Um, and there's traffic impact 
backpacks as well. Do I have somebody come pick me up and take me to where I'm going or do I just get in the car um, and now I'm another car on the road? Um, that also might affect your personal habits, for example. Maybe you start to go out more because you can sit and play a game on your phone in the car or read a book while you're going to meet your friends for dinner instead of having to, to fight traffic. Right. So just because you know Uber helps me get down to the Fox and I don't have to, to pay to go see a show, I don't have to go pay for parking to see a show, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more of a ripple effect that that's there. Yeah. Um, I think trying to analyze a couple steps ahead or as best we can to look at future effects or consequences should definitely play a role. So, for example, with the car, with the invention of the automobile, um, people probably thought, oh, this is great. Like there won't be um, any more horse waste on on <laughs> the ground or, um, you know, it, it won't smell so bad because they, you know, get so hot in the summertime, whatever it be, um, you know. We now have a car, oh, I now have air conditioning, or I can put the windows down at least and be moving faster. But now you have the impacts of traffic, you have the impacts on the environment, um, there's still noise pollution. So there's a lot more things that just because we have one benefit in one direction um, absolutely doesn't mean that we don't have it in another. Um, and there's also then kind of in this age of technology and data, um, I think the ability to look at data that is collected, I'll use apps again for an example, um, to study where we're seeing trends change. So if you take Uber, for example, um, they have tons of data that they're able to collect on right. who's driving, what are they paying, where are they going. And if you take that and, and analyze it, you say, okay, well, you know, Lauren started using Uber in 2015, and she was only using it twice a year, and now we're seeing, um, you know, it's a lot more popular. I now see her going out twice a month and mm -hmm. using Uber and, and kind of tracking trends that way as well because you can start to put pieces together. You won't be able to connect every dot of, okay, well, now she's going out to eat more or, you know, maybe she's just going to visit a friend who lives right. in the city. So a lot of that, though, you can start to, to use all the data that, that is being collected right. and, and understand um, a little bit more about the effects to the best of our ability. Like I said, it's such a such a ripple effect, right. and there's so many blurred lines that right. become, you know, where not not easily quantified. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Lauren, I'm going to take a minute now and, and put you on the spot and ask you to take out your crystal ball. What would you predict for the next industry or sector to be disrupted? I I, I will hold you to this, so don't sweat it. But I'd be interested in your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, Definitely a fantastic question. Um, the speed and advancement of technology change today is is absolutely incredible. And in sectors and industries that you wouldn't necessarily think technology has a place, we're seeing it start to evolve. Uh, to give you two quick examples um, that I just personally found pretty interesting, we have smart water bottles now that um, can actually help you track how much water you're intaking throughout today, the day to help you know what your hydration levels are. Hmm. Um, so every time it fills it up, it kind of counts how much basically you drink out of it and when you fill it back up. And there's, of course, an app for it that you can look at it and look at it over time on your phone. Um, another one, um, the fashion industry. You would think, okay, maybe you know how we design clothes online or, or look at them and come up with designs Okay, maybe I can see that. Uh, 
but two interesting things. One is that they're actually coming out with wearable technology. So not don't think of like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or something, but actually something inside of your clothing wow. that has technology to some extent. Um, it's a similar concept of like the, the watches and Fitbits and health trackers, but um, just really interesting that we're starting to now just make that into the clothing. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing related to fashion is they're actually using um, technology and science to actually create new materials to make clothes out of that are either more environmentally friendly um, or um, cruelty-free to animals. So it's, it's really interesting things that are still very durable um, and hopefully long-lasting, but there's a lot of different ways that technology is, is intertwined in our life. So on a more serious note, I think it is a matter of looking at consequences to the best of our ability to knowing, um, you know, if I make this advancement, maybe I can look two steps ahead and, and solve an additional problem as a result of the new disruption. So in terms of one next industry, every industry is being so disrupted right now. And I also know that that is the safe answer out, but I'm okay <laughs> with that. Because really all you have to do, if you search technology in honestly any industry on Google, you will find some type of article of some company has come out with some new something. And it's so, so much is happening so quickly that there's always more to, to learn and be on top well, of. Well, I wonder how you're going to avoid getting pinned down to one industry. <laughs> so well played, well played. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lauren, this has been a great conversation, and I really do appreciate your sharing your research with us. And I suspect this is a topic that will only, you know, gain momentum and, and become more current. So I hope you'll be open to returning to the podcast at some point. Of course, yes. On our website at frbatlanta.org, we'll have a, a link where you can email Lauren with any questions you might have about this topic and uh, get a conversation going. And uh, again, I'm Tom Heinges from the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And I hope you'll join us next month when we sit down with Atlanta Fed economist Julie Hotchkiss to discuss her recent research into the concept of social capital and the role it plays in our choices about where to live. Uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation, and I hope you're here for it. Thanks for spending some time with us today, and come back next month. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.